0: We're undergoing the biological revolution right now. Today, every single thing that you use from materials to food, to drugs, to everything that you see around you in your room, there will be a sustainable alternative to it.
1: The Passion Fruit Podcast is a part of Lumity Media Productions. Lumity is an educational media company creating and facilitating, engaging, and thought-provoking content. Lumity offers a social education mobile app designed to elevate your content consumption experience. The platform offers a curated space for sharing and discovering book, podcast, video, and article recommendations. Through a community of thought leaders and passionate learners, Lumity aims to inspire curiosity as well as lifelong learning. Join Lumity today to build your learning community while you learn and grow, both personally and as a collective. My guest today is another longtime friend, but maybe the most unique guest I've had so far. Ian Schlander is this weird blend of super nerd and party animal, a synthetic biologist specialized in biomanufacturing by day and a DJ by night, Ian has always been one to embody the work hard, play hard mindset, regardless of the time of day though, one thing is for certain when something catches his eye, he goes all in and is relentless with his efforts. The thing I appreciate most about Ian is his presence, whether he's hanging out with friends in the lab, making breast milk or building out the business plan of a new side quest, Ian gives his full attention to whatever he's focused on at that moment. In this episode, we will talk through how Ian finds balance through his many different passions. We will go into his first love, the evolving field of biotech, and dive into the future of this space. We will also discuss how he manages his work-life balance and how he always ensures he has some fun along the way. With that, please enjoy passion fruit episode number four with Ian Schlander. Awesome. Welcome to the show wow, and don't know how
0: to follow up with that kind of introduction. It's been a while since I've had somebody complimenting more than three times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> no, good to be here, Jeff. I've been yeah, a big man. fan of Lumity for a while was one of the first beta testers. And I, I try mm. to tell people about it all the time. Cause I really do think you're serving a niche and a need that when I first opened up the app, I was like, I texted you I think that week. And I was like, damn, I can't stop using this thing. Like I really want to keep adding people and get more people on this app so I can learn from more people. And I'm really curious to see where this goes. And I'm really grateful to be part of it and see where both of our journeys take us along the
1: way. I appreciate that. No one's ever followed my bio with a little shout out to me. So th- thanks Jeff for that. was a
0: star running back. Also had some fun too.
1: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> You're pulling at my heartstrings a little bit, and that's something that you've always found yourself in that role of, I hinted at a little bit in the bio, but you're always just finding yourself as an entertainer, whether it was throwing parties back in high school at the Live Oak House, DJing in nightclubs in New York City, doesn't really matter. You just always want everyone to have a good time and have fun. So One example in some conversations before this that stood out to me that I want to get a little more background info. You once had a petting zoo in your front yard at FSU. Yeah,
0: that was my 21st birthday.
1: (laughs) That was a good one.
0: Yeah, no, I I actually was supposed to go to Amsterdam with my buddy and I saved up like 900 bucks, which I thought that was enough for Amsterdam. I definitely wasn't, but he bailed (laughs) the last second. And I was like, I have 900 bucks now that i was ready to blow let's do something fun i actually looked into sword swallowers fire breathers i was like you know what that might not be as fun and then i saw a petting zoo and i was like now that that looks like some fun (laughs) and then yeah so we ended up getting a petting zoo i had a house back in tallahassee and had a big backyard and then they were like do you want to put you can have a llama for a hundred extra bucks and i was like yeah, sign me up for the llama. <laughs> I was just walking around the llama the whole time. It was just a fun experience. And it was funny. I've never seen such a virality happen in like real time where you just tell people like, yo, he's got a fucking llama. There's pigs. I'm not shitting you. Fucking come through, he says, you gotta come see this. <laughs> it was, it was, it was definitely a fun. And I guess that's why I choose to stay around that kind of fun scene is because I do enjoy those memories when I do look back on hard work. That brings me a lot of energy for the next day, but what really makes me cherish those the year 21 or the year 22, 23 is really looking back on some of the memories I made with my friends. And I keep a door wide open policy, allowing some new memories to flow in and new memories flow out. It's opened me up to new opportunities and keep an open mind. And I really think it's not for everyone for sure. But I think one thing is you got to feed whoever you are whatever you like, whether you're introverted, extroverted, whether you like to do deep work or whether you like to do, be inside certain scenes or volunteering, everything, what traveling, you got to feed that part of you and you got to lean into it sometimes. And yeah, I just, it seems like wherever I go, I'm always going to be curious about making fun, having fun and being a part of creating the fun rather than, because I think when like you uh, alluded to, being part of the house parties back at back in Florida in high school, <laughs> i enjoyed more. I was like, why go to their party when well, we can just go to my party and then just have to that. maybe mm-hmm. my parents, <laughs> they had to deal with a lot. But so I got a, a taste for it and started just being like, all right, now I want to throw my own parties and have a lot of friends who have been around that scene for a while. And then I enjoy it. It's like a good release from the hard work that I do. And I think over time... It's easy to get caught up inside what you're doing, what you're focused on. And so many times I've been looking towards doing a PhD, doing, starting up this startup in biotech, looking into that. And then really you're not in your present moment. And Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing that I've maybe gained an ounce of wisdom over 26 years is legitimately just, I need to stop looking forward to that five year plan and sometimes focus a little bit more on the plan today and the plan tomorrow. And that's a good thing I've learned in starting businesses as well and helping people plan their businesses is you're going to stop making a Gantt chart for five years or stop business planning so hard for that. When really you need to focus on what are you doing to get your next milestone accomplished? And are you setting yourself up personally for that? Are you going to burn out? And if you burn out, then really who suffers is you and anything that you want to do in the future. So I think it's really important to keep Mm -hmm. that in mind as well. And yeah, I I guess, like you said, I've just tried leaning into the music scene and then also leaning into the biotech and I keep finding myself not being able to be pulled away from either. So it can be difficult to manage, but it's worth it.
1: And that's one of the main reasons I'm so excited to have this conversation is just because you are such an, oddball and the fact of your interests are so different or seemingly different from each other it's been really fun to prep for this call speaking to some of the events that you're now hosting in new york city hush nyc is what your venture is called right now yeah we
0: got the neon sign right there (laughs) it's one of those things where you gotta land somewhere and then you gotta start running but if you don't land somewhere then you're not you don't really have any direction in any where you're going. But this one I've been around helping out House Hats for a while, which is a Florida brand of house music. And helped them out in Florida, helped them out in Denver a little bit, and then helped them out in New York. And I've been around that scene for a while. A lot of my friends, just producers and stuff like that. And I enjoy being around it. I was always like, I'm never gonna be a DJ, never gonna be a DJ, never gonna fuck around with it. But I really liked the part of being in the community and the actual moments that you share with people. And I think that one of my friends moved up, his name's Corey Cookta and he's actually an excellent DJ and we I'm more of the salesman. He's more of the artist side and we are just like, let's do our own thing. Let's we have these ideas to put forth that we want to see. And our whole mantra is let's make events that we want to go to. And so the idea is these are going to be very in the moment events. So you come to the party, everybody's camera's taped. So I don't want any social media. I don't want anybody fucking on the dance floor thinking about who's looking at who or whatever. Everyone's there in the moment that night and that's all that matters. And then what it allows is it allows. And one thing I loved about the comedy scene was all of those venues make you take your camera and now the comedians just say whatever the fuck they want to say. And it makes everyone just release a little bit Everyone walks out, no, nothing's better than walking out of a comedy show and you see everyone with a smile. Everyone got a little release from there because mm-hmm. they saw some sort of thing that they know they shouldn't have laughed at or some sort of thing. And so that's what we replicated that idea, but put it into more of the music scene. And really what we want to do is try to extend it into jazz and we're ideating about comedy and, and, and seeing how that would work and rent out some penthouses around New York City. We've looked at the real estate and we've looked at the prices for it. And I bartend on Saturdays and some mixologists that are pretty talented out here and really make a good cocktail list. And everyone has their finest digs on who doesn't like dressing up on a good Saturday night, it makes the event a little bit more special. And once the cameras are taped, everything, we take care of the videography. We take care of the the videos and then you gotta follow us to get your videos, get your cameras. So it's kind of part of the business, but really we just want to create special moments because the thing is that's my like passion project. I, one thing about event management is the margins aren't great. It's not a hugely scalable business, unless you want to expand into multiple markets and really go that route. It's more just let's go make events that we want to make the same thing. Why go to their party? Let's go to our party. We can do it better. We want to do the events that we want to do. We already have the network. Now it's just let's go shake some hands and make some deals and figure out how to get this going. And right now we're taking over a small intimate venue and What we're looking forward to is really the vision, which is including jazz, house, comedy, things that just have diverse events and having great cocktails there so that, and having everyone dress up. And we're thinking about potentially getting a catering, some sort of Michelin star catering service coming in, but we haven't figured it out yet. But again, this first event is just to get the awareness out there that we're doing this. Tell yourself you're doing it because the plan's there. Mm -hmm. I know you've, you're Lumity you have good months you have bad months productive days non productive weeks um so sometimes you just got to go we're doing this all right let's go do this and then the next thing you're actually doing it and then you're taking care of that step 1 then step 2 and then step 5 and then next thing you know the vision's actually coming to fruition and so this is yeah this is more of like the fun that's why i stay in the biotech side because i don't see that being longevity wise for my main source of income, but it's more just, like, Hey, we're doing this again next month or two months from now, whenever we have some great jazz artists or we have some good comedians, or we have some great house music artists, let's get this going. And who doesn't want to be a part of that? I think it would be fun. And it's not about packing out a 5,000 person venue. That's how you actually make money inside the scene. It's about just making a moment that everyone there is just gonna be like, that was awesome. I would, I'll never forget going to that event, and I want to create memories, and that's the whole goal: is go make events we want to do and create some memories along
1: the way. That's dope, man. I was wondering why it was called Hush. I didn't understand. Yeah, it, but that's really yeah. It's cool hard to me.
0: get the vision out when you're just starting out, and you just gotta go. They'll see it eventually. They'll see it eventually.
1: They'll figure. Yeah, it out.
0: you just gotta, you just gotta bear through the process. I'm sure when you're pitching mm-hmm. Lumity. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, and then you're doing the beta and you were like, okay, I can see a little bit more. And then as you keep working on it, as time goes by, people are like, okay, I see what you're trying to do. And I see why it's something that you like doing.
1: Yeah. And I think that the idea of covering the camera, I love that just forcing people to be present. I think that's a huge need that we have right now. And the fact that you guys yeah. are. Forcing that issue, I, it's pretty cool. I haven't,
0: I haven't had social media for a long time because I was a scientist first and I could never really reflect myself as a scientist on Instagram. What am I going to do? Check out my breast milk. Like It's, it's not going to work like that. It just comes off more fraudulent than an actual. And, and people can sense that. People want authenticity mm-hmm. in a brand, people want authenticity in everything. And one of the main things is I hate social media, but I had to go recently download it to be like, I need to be present for this in order to actually get involved in this. And if I'm going to actually do this, let's just go do it. And I got to learn it at some point. I think it's a good business thing to learn. One thing that's fun about business is you force yourself to just learn things. You're uncomfortable learning. One thing about being a scientist is you just get really specialized and yeah, I guess this is more of like just a fun learning experience, fun passion project.
1: And, I've got to get you up here for one of them and have a bunch of fun next time. Yeah. The theme, a theme of the last episode I just did was being biased to action and you're never going to have it all figured out. One, one quote that Kit Griffin dropped was 60%. Something damn, It was like 60% today is better than a hundred percent never or something like that and, or a hundred percent too late. And so I applaud you for. Like you said, just jumping in, figuring it out as you go and trying to make something special. I think that's the coolest part about quote unquote entrepreneurship or however else you want to phrase it. You're just trying to make your contribution to the world. I feel
0: a lot of inspiration from you, honestly, because I'd always been right next to the entrepreneurial scene in biotech, but it's such a big jump. And it's one thing where to find the perfect project, it's, it's such a niche thing to get into and it's such a long road that I was always dancing around a little bit and then you were just always in the side and I was just like I I, it's one of those things where you see the people around you you don't compare but you get inspired hopefully from people around you and hopefully you try to inspire other people on their bad days and I don't know if you know that the things that you do are always inspiring somebody, whether you know it or not. And you can see it through the Lumini app. What is it? It's literally an app for inspiration, like it, it knowledge and inspiration. It's really cool. And it's funny cause I try to pitch it to people a lot of times up here and I'm like, you should get this app. It's super cool. You, you share podcasts, you share knowledge. It's nothing but good inspiring quotes. I remember, I think one of my posts on there was the JFK moon speech or something. <laughs> Yeah. yeah choose not to do this because what is it what's the quote not because it's easy but it's because it is hard <laughs> i don't know if you go. just wake up if you, wake up, if you wake up and you have no motivation that day you listen to that quote you just you'll get razzed up i'm telling you
1: <laughs> but uh, no i appreciate that i appreciate that i think that's exactly what i'm doing i'm just trying to put some inspiration out there i think we can always use some more positive thoughts and energy and just trying to promote learning, growing and trying to make the world a little bit better of a place. And I think you start doing that by the, your immediate network and your own life. And that's been the focus is just growing it immediate and then slowly expanding.
0: You said make the world a little bit a better place. We were just talking about why go to that party when we can make our own party. I see that sometimes when people are making their own business, I want to see this into the world. It's like the same kind of energy, the same kind of thought, which is whatever niche or whatever service is that I want, or which is back in high school for me it was a good party. Mm-hmm. Now it's okay, is the business that I want to create that I wanna see. And if the motivation is just money, I it's it's really difficult to to be there for the long haul. There's gotta be a certain energy that you get from it and gather from it. And it's like you said if you want to make the world a better place or it's really the vision that you want to put into the world whether that be a good memory a good night a good product a good something but yeah i guess that, that that struck a chord it's just what you said if we want to make it a better place it's really hard to get that broad scale but i think it's just that same mentality of
1: let's do, do what day. we want
0: to do let's do it let's do something that we think is making the world a better place and
1: that's again as I've continued to do more of these conversations, I think the overarching theme or vision of mine is to just share stories of how people live out passion-led lives and how they live a life that they've designed for themselves. And again, what that can look so many different ways. It doesn't matter how it appears on the outside. It's what, if As long as it's true to you and what lights you up and what makes you happy, then that's all that matters. And success looks very different for every single person. And... It's really cool to uncover how people have built their lives the way they want them to look and excited to continue to unpack that with you. One thought, I, I do wanna get to biotech, but you brought it up and I know we won't shift years again. So I wanna stay on this side of things for one more. You mentioned stand up and you mentioned going to stand up. Mm-hmm. But have you also performed stand up? Yes, I
0: have done a few of (laughs) them. I used to be really into it because when I first moved out here, you visited the West Village apartment. Um, The only person I knew was my current roommate. And really, I was going through a tough time just like trying to be a part of this new company, this new place, this new city, this new atmosphere, this new life. And one of the staples that I had because my current roommate, I I was living in a one bedroom. And so I couldn't just go hang out all only with him every day. I ended up going to Comedy Cellar every, every week, two, three times a week. And I fell in love with just that. Take the cameras. Everyone just gets to laugh for an hour and a half. As much fun as I love the music scene, there's nothing better than the comedy. Like an hour and a half of laughing, it's mm-hmm. the best feeling you can ever have. You can go an hour and a half, have the best workout, you can have an hour and a half, do whatever, but an hour and a half of laughing. I, the comedy seller, which is the best comedy, potentially, arguably, in the world. And I got to see some amazing acts when somebody just walks in, Chris Rock walks in, or on Ansari walks in, or somebody like that it's special for free. You really just, that's a moment that you just you don't ever forget. And so I started to just fall in love with it, started listening to comedy podcasts and the good thing about the lab is I just can throw my AirPods and get into my science while listening to either a Huberman podcast or a comedy podcast these days, honestly, most of the time it's a comedy podcast. I'm a big fan. And I just was just like, I could do this. I could, I could make some people laugh. And so I took a class actually at the cellar and ended up doing some open mics and bombed the first three times and i don't know if you ever had a bad game in a sport and you could do better (laughs) yeah yeah, you you never Never. have a bad game (laughs) yeah (laughs) you're right right. i've seen your huddle it's 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 straight highlights (laughs) no but yeah when you when you bomb there's only one way to respond which is yeah you got to go back up there or else it's gonna it's gonna haunt you and then eventually started getting pretty decent at it but it's a grind it's not it's the if you mess up on a DJ set, the crowd's still going to dance. Only a few people will be like, Ooh, I could hear it through that. But in comedy, if you mess up one step, one delivery, one, anything, you ruin the whole set, You ruin the whole night. And it's really hard to come back from that. And so you really respect those people who do it, respect to the people who stick with it. It's also one of those things where no one's going to hear your name until at least three years. No one should hear your name for three years no one's good for three years. It's not a, it's Mm. DJ. I I got decent enough to play in front of people within six months. I had my first show after buying my first decks two months. It's a lot easier to at least get not noticed (laughs) to be bad. While it's just like, (laughs) there's just so much, you got to find your voice. You got to find, there's just a lot of respect for the actual good comedians. And yeah, so I did some, and then just started getting busy with life and was just like, all right, am I going to send this into comedy full send? I almost did. (laughs) I was like, I I, it's too much fun. But sometimes when you enjoy something so much, you ruin it by becoming it. When you just want to go to a show and listen to comedy. And then, then you become nitpicky about a comedian, and you're like, "I'm better than him." Or, oh, I'm your ego starts getting involved and stuff like that, and it's just natural. But yeah, sometimes you can lose the the appreciation for it while you're chasing it. And I just decided, all right, this is a five year grind. I'm like looking towards a PhD. I, I'm not. What am I doing here? I'm glad I tried it out. and I'm actually looking to going back into doing some more open mics now just to start recruiting some comedians, start getting back into that scene. But yeah, you're just going to have, you're going to have bad sets and you're going to have to go to sleep that night somehow. And you know, it's, you <laughs> I can only be dying it. for the good set. So it's like a drug, but it's, yeah, it's an experience for sure. I don't recommend it for many people. I don't recommend it for myself
1: either, but sometimes you just want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> As I've gotten into, I guess the creative space I've, really gained an appreciation for different art forms, even podcasting. It can be just a conversation, but there's a lot more that goes into it behind the scenes. If you want to, if you get a lot of same thing, it's like there's such an array of how people do podcasts, Mm -hmm. especially comedy.
0: You can't just have two guys bullshitting for 20 different podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Some people are doing videos. Some people are doing like, are you garbage? I guess that's one of my favorite ones where they like ask them questions. I'm like, how, what lights are your Christmas tree? (laughs) Is is it red or is it red or green? Or is it white? They're like white's classy. They're like red or green, any little trashy (laughs) (laughs) guests and the bullshit. So, uh,
1: I, yeah, podcasting is, uh, is definitely a skill for sure. But yeah, just, and just art forms in general, like to be able to tell a story in a unique way that captivates people and to, like you said, find your voice, all that. So before I let you off the hook, Either got to tell me a, a joke no, I <laughs> or just like the funniest story, maybe. I, I don't know if you said you bombed a few times, but I'm sure you have a success story as well. So just give me a story or something to make it a little lighthearted before we get into the nerdy stuff of biotech. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not to put you on spot. Light-hearted.
0: Uh, yeah. So I made the classic mistake of inviting a bunch of friends to one of my open mics. <laughs> I still hear about that day every time I see them. Like, Oh, he's got jokes again. Watch out, watch out. But yeah, I invited a bunch of friends and they were just like, man, that was bad. I was like, it was the room. It was the room. It wasn't me. And they were just like, we're never coming again, dude. You gotta work on that. It was just like, dang, hey, man. Wow. But I've had some nights where some friends came in there and they, were, they had some good nights, but it's just one of those things where when you're starting out, you're gonna fail 80% of the time and. But sometimes all you do, all you need is one laugh, and I go, I'm hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I knew I had it. <laughs> Damn. All right,
1: that's awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just recommend don't, if you're yeah. trying out a new art form, don't invite anybody for at least a year. <laughs> yeah.
1: Better to get judged by strangers. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: That, that, that's all you're dealing with yourself at that point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get into to biotech and. Before we do first of all so it's a blend of biology and technology to very broad and very intricate and complex industries and the possibilities are can go anywhere so i want to get into the weeds as much as possible but i also want to make a note of this is not to get a phd in bio, biotech yeah. it's just to talk through the role that it plays in our society today yeah. and the future of it and how it's going to continue to impact us yeah. so give us a quick rundown of what biotech even is and what it means and what the average person should understand about the industry all right we're
0: undergoing the biological revolution right now today every single thing that you use from materials to food to drugs to everything that you see around you in your room there will be a sustainable alternative to it there are people using biomining biological techniques to basically manufacture all of these chemicals materials everything that you use everything that you eat everything that you depend on in in current today's society it'll all just be used through biology everything will be made through biology and right now it's imperative that we start switching to that and that's why i found myself inside this space that's why i couldn't look away once I found, once I did see it is because once you see that the entire world is shifting under your feet, you don't want to join that, that next part, wherever that, that sheet is going, wherever that next step is, you want to be there before the the rest of the world gets there and you want to be a part of it. And right now, everything that we are doing is going to be made through biology at least have a sustainable alternative and that's where bioengineering and synthetic biology makes its place is synthetic biology is the overarching umbrella term for bioengineering and so basically what there is, is there's different sectors there's energy there's biomanufacturing for proteins like impossible meat and things like materials for clothing and and then there's a thing called upcycling which is all of these trash things that we have whether that be lithium batteries whether that be plastic in the ocean or just trash in general they call it upcycling because we degrade them using biology and turn them into value-added chemicals so now that plastic bottle that you have that's worth nothing is now worth some money if you start to recycle it and give it to the right sources And so then they turn that into value-added chemicals. There's different parts too, such as food manufacturing, there's materials. So such things as like wearable electronics, things like the Elon Musk company, what's it called? The brain interface one Neuralink. Yeah. So that's, that's a big bioengineering. Like Caltech is, which is one of the most respected institutions, in the entire world, Caltech is focusing mostly on neural interfaces and trying to decode what that what's going on in between the brain. Can we make a neuron? And when we make a neuron, how do we make it turn into a system? And when it has a system, what is the behaviors that we see? What are things? And so really where we're at is a really exciting part is we're at this unknown forefront and I've always been like, why is this such an enthralling thing to me? But it's the same thing as why did people go out west? Why did people want to go to the moon? Why do people want, cause there's just like a forefront of knowledge forefront of where humanity is at. We know that there's something on the other side that could potentially be better. And we don't know if Neuralink's going to be better for those society. Damn. It's hard to, find, it's hard not to look into it. And that's just where things are going right now is just people are just, once they get exposed to it, they really just want to figure out, oh, I can solve this problem, I can solve this problem, or I can, I find I, there's, there's a sustainable solution for this, there's some sort of sustainable solution for this. And I really believe that there is a solution for everything through biology.
1: What does that even mean though? What does it mean to take a a plastic bottle and what turn it into energy or turn it like turn it into? Yeah. So I worked at the national renewable energy lab in Denver,
0: and that's really where I got my technical training. And one of the projects I was working on is something called the bottle consortium. And so what we did is we went into nature what the literature finds literally going to plastic dumps and you, you take samples of what bacteria is growing there. If it's growing on that plastic and I mean like colony, like massive bacteria colonies, you do a genome wide scale of that. There is some sort of protein that is made inside that bacteria that allows it to feed itself. So basically like the way you eat an apple, you feel energy. That thing's feeding off of plastic. So the which is called petase, metase. And essentially we find those proteins, those enzymes that are that it's using to degrade that plastic into its carbon source. And then we isolate those proteins. And then we do something that actually one of the recent Nobel Prize winners, the one for directed evolution, and what that is, is essentially we grow these organisms on this media, so let's say it's plastic type media or has some sort of plastic. And we know that this enzyme is inside. There is inside that organism and we know it's going to eat it slowly. Well, we want to turn that up, up a thousand. How do we do that? There's certain things called active sites on um, way proteins, move way proteins, clamp onto things, way proteins kind of degrade certain things. And we, we generate different sequences around those active sites just to see what we get. And essentially we test all those different proteins now that we have. So let's say I have a hundred different versions of this active site. Then we have now a hundred different enzymes. We put those hundred enzymes into these organisms. We grow them onto this media, this plastic media. And then eventually what you'll see is over time, over generations, they'll start to genomically evolve onto this media, onto this plastic media. And essentially start reacting better with it. Some some organisms start growing better, start growing faster, start growing stronger, and then we'll be like, okay, what's going on there? What's going on with this? And then we'll isolate that protein. We'll look back at it. We'll look at its genome, and we'll see certain truths of what's going on. And one of the things is, it's not direct. We're not going to see open up a curtain and find the answer. It's one of those things where this could be the reason. This could be the reason. This could be the reason. So that's why these pap- this biotech is such a long, grueling, hard. Massive team, massive collaboration, international collaborations, industry, academia, government are all collaborating to do one project, which is degrade plastics and turn them into value-added chemicals. And so going back to the workflow, which is we have now this enzyme that has been evolved over generations and we do this rapidly. And generations, are you saying? No, rapid generations are like like the bacteria. Replicates, 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 like thousands of generations. happens in in a week and then you, you essentially have a super bug is what we call it. And it's something that just does this reaction super fast. Maybe there's other metabolic reactions going on inside it that allows it to do that better. We go figure it out. It's called metabolomics. You look at the metabolism, you look at all the proteins that it's expressing and you try to figure out what the puzzle is, which is how is this doing this better? And then we isolate that and then we try to keep building on it. And that's called rational engineering. And so we start really trying to get at that structure of it, whatever it is. There's some sort of, there's there's always, there's like a million reasons why biology acts the way it does. And so there's no one way that happens, but yeah. So what we do then is we start throwing plastic inside these massive things called bioreactors. And what it does is we throw that bug inside there, that super bug. And it starts feeding off that plastic. And, so, and it's not, I'm not talking about a wa- I'm not talking about a water bottle. These, I'm talking about like chemically separated plastic, like you get the plastic and then there's chemical separations to turn it into separate types of chemicals. And we have these super bugs for each one of those chemicals. And they turn those chemicals over time into in, in, in bioreactors into things like nylon, things that we can actually use that are really valuable chemicals, things like biofuels. I was making biofuels out there and I was turning plastics into like nylon. And then revamp that you do chemical processes to that a lot of organic chemistry and turn it into tires, something that's an actual physical product. Not, not just like a handbag that's wrapped in plastic. Look, have we seen, like, there's only so many handbags you can make from one company. We're, we're talking about massive chemical outputs that go to the rest of the world. And one thing that I really love about it is now we have this super bug. Now I can freeze that super bug, send it to India. And now they have that super bug. And now they can do the same chemical process the same thing and the whole entire world has this it's, it's easy to send it and that's why people are patenting these things because now it's just becoming so valuable if you find a protein that does a certain reaction and turns it into something else at a better rate than what's known to humankind then you have something valuable and the main thing is now this is all done from zero energy right like these are organisms that are feeding off of this that are degrading our trash and creating new chemicals without us going into the earth and trying to find nylon or trying to find certain elements to create these chemicals and do organic reactions, super expensive, non-sustainable at all. And now we have these bioreactors that are just spitting out these chemicals from our waste. And so now one of the companies I just, I I recently was talking to, they use carbon capture. So now they do gas fermentators. And so they're taking carbon out of the atmosphere. And their whole entire thing is we want to take a gigaton of carbon. And now they're just using it to, they're like, what can we make with this? And so now they're using it to make, I think biofuels or something. I don't think they told me the product exactly that they're making. I think it's still, they're, they're still in like series a startup form, but yeah. So there's really, you can, there's so many sources that you can use because biology will evolve to do something around it. There's organisms in volcanoes. There's organisms turning these gaseous particles into life that sustains themselves and they they're, they're called extremophiles. And so some people will go literally go into these crazy places, go find extremophiles and they're like, how the fuck are they living there? There's some sort of, there's some sort of answer inside there and okay. So what's coming out of volcanoes. I don't know exactly what the chemical is, but I'm just going to say it. Let's say it's methane or something like that. Something that's we know that we want to turn into a non greenhouse gas, something we want to use as energy. And so we're going to turn. We're going to take that, that, that bug and we're going to go do some studies on it. where then we're going to do directed evolution on whatever protein is causing it to do that. Whatever metabolic reactions are inside the cell that's causing it to turn that shit chemical into it's sustainable source. And then we'll have one bug, turn it into a certain chemical. Then we'll have another bug, get those chemicals turn it into another chemical. And then another bug turn it into another chemical until you have the final chemical that you want. And we call that metabolic engineering. And so it's one of those things that once you get exposed to it, it's, holy shit, the entire world under us is literally changing. And there's, I'd say about 98% of all of bioengineering, synthetic biology companies are startups right now. They're private. So that's why you're not seeing all these, all there is is unicorns right now. Cause that's the only thing that's surviving is unicorns that started back in 2010. There's a few that are massive right now, and they've been doing it since the 70s. And this is not, it's not new technology. What it is. We've just advanced our sequencing. We've made it cheaper to do these things. We basically have gone from where computers were at in the sixties to now we're in like the nineties for, form of the computer. Now let's get to 2023 where everyone has sequencing technology on their phones. Let's, let's see where the future is going. I work with a lot of startups. I do a lot of entrepreneurial stuff with them and I've been in various roles and get exposed to that's why I'm switching a little bit out of the scientist role more into the investor role. Because you get to see so much fucking cool shit instead of building one cool thing, you get to help build a bunch of really cool things. And so you're not really actually on the ground floor with them, which is the only thing that you're a little bit separated away from that team, but you get exposed, it's, I try to tell my friends, the most optimistic thing ever was getting into science because you get to be around these people that are super passionate. Like the most passionate people they're working 60, they're working 60 hours a week at NREL all the time. These people are, because biology, when you're growing it and you want to take a timestamp of something and you want to see how it's doing in eight hours, 16 hours, it doesn't care if it's 2 in the, two a.m. The bug doesn't care. Your experiment doesn't care if it's 8 a.m. That's why these PhDs are so grueling. These people are getting paid 30K and that's good for a PhD if you're getting paid 30K. And it's, it sucks because we need more scientists. We need more experts. We need more people doing it. I still, I literally left the PhD route because I realized how much of a how fucked our system is right now on how we treat grad students and how it's just not worth the, the squeeze, isn't worth the juice. If you come out, if, if you have, you gotta be about that. You gotta be one of those people who wants to be 50 years old, still in the lab 60 hours a week. That's just, I've worked with the best of the best, and that's what it takes to be the best of the best. And science is super competitive. If you're going against some of the best people in China, the best people in Japan, as far as people in the world. And one thing is the United States has the best school system in the entire world. We bring all the best people to Caltech. We bring all the best people to Stanford, Harvard, MIT, and then they come work and create these technology companies inside our system. And that's why America has that capitalistic output because we have the best schooling system. All these tech companies that are doing all these amazing things that are pushing the GDP up and blah, blah, blah. It's because we have Caltech it's because we have UC San Diego, like these just absolute powerhouses. And there's just no countries like that. Each country has about one, I would say one really top school. But besides that, it's far and few in between. And it's just tough that our system is built the way it is, where if you want to be an expert, you got to go through basically the Navy SEALs training worth of si- uh, level of science. And it's just, it sucks because people are getting turned away from it and which outputs to less, less solutions for the world. And it's just product of the system and product of what's going on right now and i don't have the solution to it but one thing i do know is we need more founders we need more people creating solutions and we need more scientists we need more people that are just trying to make the new solution and the solutions are out there the solutions are out there and that's the crazy part it's just it's just do you want you got to be specialized to do it there's no scientist who isn't Extremely specialized in what they do. You get a PhD, become the expert inside that one little thing, and you can meander around your career and become more of a generalist, which most of them end up going to industry now. It's like a crazy statistic. I forget what it is. I'm not going to start saying random statistics, but it's a majority of, (laughs) it's a majority of scientists that are in academia are going to industry now and just becoming scientists for a company rather than continuing to explore something we need more academics. But there's not enough academic positions. There's not enough. It's just and in, in, in this one, I believe it's over 80% of all academic professorships are owned by I think it's 15 schools. Meaning, as in 80% of all of the professors that, that work are from a Harvard, are from an MIT, are from a Stanford, are from a Berkeley, are from a Caltech. And that's what our system is right now is if you're not in that elite school, you're going to have to work for 15 years, making less than 50 K who, I mean, come on now, juice isn't worth the squeeze. Like <laughs> you're going to be 35 before you start living your life out of the way you want to live. So it's we need to fix it somehow. I don't know what the solution is. It's beyond me. It's not, it's above my pay grade. That's where we're at right now. And it sucks. Cause we really need, we really, there's so many solutions out there to that we just need to so many things there, yeah, I know it's there. I, I believe when I say everything has a solution through biology, we can create a solution to it. if. I, let's do an exercise. Think of three things that you have a problem that, that you just want to solve, like global problems, either local, global, regional, anything. Something that you heard of in the news recently, something that's like, and don't say something like, like societal, <laughs> something that's a problem.
1: The environmental is a big one that comes to mind. And I think, I have so much to unpack and so many questions to answer from yeah. that little rant you just went on. But yeah, I would say environmental, which you touched on, like the elimination of plastic or the upcycling of plastic, and then also the carbon capture, which I'm curious to learn a little bit more about that. And then what you also hit on was, I think there's a trend to move towards these electric vehicles and stuff like that. But those things have their problems as well, whether it's there's minimal minerals that need to be Sourced and lithium batteries and those precious minerals, whether it's deep sea mining or in I think there's they're like super mining in countries in Africa and stuff. So if we can source this stuff through things that already exist, but yeah, I, I don't know how to answer your question. Three things: environment. Okay, I, like, you know, I was thinking <laughs> something more.
0: I guess the oranges in Florida, like there's like ninety percent of the orange.
1: Like, like oh yeah, because
0: like, that was something you were greening, working something on. Something more like that. And so there's actually this, how I got into this, backtrack a little bit, was I was pre- Sure,
1: yeah. That was one of the questions, but I was going to just move past it because yeah. there's so much of that, but yeah, yeah. sure, yeah, We that. have time to get into it. How
0: I got into this was essentially this one organization, and this is how most people get into it, is called iGEM. It's the International Genetically Engineered Machines Competition. We've all heard of hackathons from school, things like that, competitions where pitch competitions, things like that this is that, but it's only synthetic biology. And the actual team who made it was from MIT and they're now called Ginkgo. So the Ginkgo oh, really? made iGEM back in 2004 wow. or something like that. And that was the first, it was just them and Cambridge. It was like Boston university, MIT, Harvard, and like another Cambridge university. And so it was just four of them. And so it was actually, this is one of my favorite stories. One of my favorite fucking stories is the guy who made synthetic biology, basically. Uh, his name's Tom Knight. And he's one of the, he's one of the founders of synthetic biology founder of Ginkgo. He was actually a computer scientist and he was, I think he was like 45 years old, 52 years old or something like that. When he decided I'm going to go back and do a master's in biology, because I have this idea that, a C T's and G's are code that sounds a lot like ones and zeros. And so he went and studied at the age of 45, as an academic, to go just learn about this thing because he was curious about it. I ended up figuring out how to cut these DNA sequences and put DNA sequences together called bio bricks. And that's the foundation of IGEM is bio bricks. And so essentially it's putting all these parts of DNA sequences and making them into certain things and testing them out and over time we have this thing called the biobricks foundation and it's just this huge repository of all the dna sequences proteins that people have explored characterized figured out that's what iGEM is literally let's go find a solution let's go find a problem solve that solution create biological sequences that create a product create a certain chemical degrade this or protect these plants from doing it from this certain heat temperature or this food something and Tom Knight creating iGem and Ginkgo is one of my favorite stories of all time because it's just like, damn, never fucking stop being curious. The guy literally changed the fucking face of the world by just saying, "I'm gonna go do it. Screw it. I'm interested inside this. Let's go chase this." And lifelong now the world is literally completely different. And the biggest biological comp, one of the biggest biological companies, Ginkgo is founded by him. And so yeah, it started out as the iGem started out as just them f- four universities in Cambridge. Then it was eight, then it was 16. And then now it's, I believe up to 8,000 students across the globe. And it's 400 different schools, different universities. They have high school level, they have undergrad level and then graduate level. And they all and then they compete inside those three domains. And the main thing is the main ethos of it is solve local problems, but think globally because then, and I know, I think we've all heard that quote before, but It's literally what is going on inside your community and what could you solve? There is some sort of problem, like the citrus greening problem with the the Tropicana oranges and how 80% of them died. The FSU gem team that I was advising, they decided let's go solve that problem. All right. Now you're just sitting there in a room with computer nerds, mathematicians, biologists, physicists, chemists, and you go, and you just start throwing spaghetti at the whiteboard. And seeing what sticks essentially. And one of the, one of the problems that came up with, or one of the solutions that came up with was okay, let's create a bacteria side. Let's go create this solution or this, because I guess I'm not going to get too deep into the the, the topic. That's a wormhole in itself. I'm not going to go straight into that,
1: Mm -hmm. but
0: essentially that's the ethos, which is let's go create a solution to the problem of some sort of thing that, whether it's diabetes, whether it's like. Cancer, I would say it's large, too large of a problem. And it's a whole year that these guys work on it. They create a wiki, uh, like a website page to track all their findings. They have all these different things like human practices, which is like going out into the farmers, if you're going to go mess with the oranges and go talk to farmers and be like, get feedback, basically like market research and get feedback and go engage your community. And it was one of those things where once. And like my whole project was different. We were, I, when I was the team lead for my team we did, uh, we were activating DNA sequences using sound, which has now grown as a field. That's pretty exciting. And I'll get into that another time if you ever want to, but it's, and so it was one of those things where we won the gold medal at iGEM, which a lot of teams win the gold medal. We're not the only ones that won the gold medal. <laughs> there's only one winner of iGEM, but a lot of teams get the gold medal.
1: So it's just participation trophies basically. Right uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> just that, there was a lot of participation involved to get to that gold medal. Yeah. But basically, I guess, <laughs> there's bronze or silver. There's a lot of people who don't medal. More people don't medal than people with medal. But besides that, it was one of those things where I took the flight home and I was like, damn, it's over. That was the first time I've ever worked hard at something and I didn't realize it was work. And so after that, I actually... Was like really, it was like six months before I was about to graduate with pre-med and I was deep into pre-med. I was, I was primed to get into a medical school and I, remember I took shrooms with some friends <laughs> and we really talked about what's going on with each other. It was a hot day in Florida. So we had to sit under a shade. We couldn't really hike. So all we had really was to talk. And after the end of the conversation, I was just like, fuck it, I'm doing it. I'm sending it into synthetic biology. That's too cool. I, I can't, I, I just can't, I can't after seeing all that, you're going into an international community as people across the globe you're competing with. And all they're really doing is just solving problems with this really cool technology that it's like a whole forefront of knowledge that we just haven't explored yet. So why not get in while it's hot? How cool were computers in the sixties? Somebody walked into a supercomputer, probably like, what the fuck? This thing knows how to calculate 25,000 divided by 32. That's crazy. But and yeah, since then. I dove deep into it and really
1: haven't really looked back. Honestly, it's just too fun. So I'm trying to (laughs) in real time, figure out which wormhole I want to go down. You mentioned a few times the funding side of things and just that one, there's not a lot of money. And then because there's not a lot of money, I don't know. There's not a lot of demand. Do you see as this technology continues to increase and Maybe you can speak to some of your experience with this VC program you're a part of, but as the technology increases and venture capitalists start to set their eyes on this type of work a little bit more, do you think that's a potential solution because the only other thing is you still need the academics. You still need the people in the lab to actually be doing the heavy duty research and stuff. So how does I guess the question could be, how does venture play a role?
0: Okay. That's two different questions. One is academic. <laughs> I'll, I'll answer both. I'll answer both. So one is academics, which is the system's fucked. Graduate students shouldn't be working 70 hours in, inside the lab, basically making 25 K on average, they're making 20 to 30 K and 30 in California, literally just did a huge strike of grad students to raise. theirs just like 3 K 4 K universities have billions. There's this, it's not, this isn't something that isn't public knowledge.
1: So can venture play a role into that or so, no, because that's it's why you're seeing a lot of people going into systems. that into
0: industry now is no one wants I didn't get even a master's or a, a PhD and I find myself doing pretty damn well at a, a startup and that's just where the society has pushed people. And venture is super aware of it. And the thing is, is it's such like a long grueling. 10 year before this product becomes now marketed and now gets the returns on the investment. We're talking about hundreds of millions before a a company really starts returning its investment back. So inherently it's a much more risky asset than something like a software company, an app company, anything, because the startup cost of that getting to start bringing in money is so much lower and so less risky. Then you can have an angel investor in, 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 in basic SaaS companies or certain financial based companies or app software based companies and Mm -hmm. biotech it's, well, now you need to recruit not just a great team, you need the best yeast expert, you need the best chemist. You need the best analytical scientist team. Now you need three lab techs to do this. Now you need two engineers to run the lab. And then all the equipment is a million dollars each half a million dollars each. So it's very the the path really is, is because I get, I get a lot of pictures from a lot of different teams is they want to solve all these problems. I'm like, you need to solve one problem first, <laughs> cause you're expensive. Focus on one problem and. Build out a proof of concept with a small team, get two scientists, four scientists, whatever you need necessary and find your pre-seed funding. So you get your pre-seed funding, which is usually from an academic spin-out or some sort of like we, no one wants to fund an idea. Everyone wants to fund a technology that's already there. And you just are pushing that towards a company now. So usually we want to see academic spin-outs. That's usually the most safe bet. That's usually what you do see because they have mentorship, they have advisors. The technology has been proven in in the community. I I say it's not science until it's been peer reviewed. There's no, it doesn't exist until it's been peer reviewed. I don't believe it, it's bullshit. (laughs) It's magic at that point. It's fake. I want to see it peer reviewed. And then also now that you have that out, how do we get that to let's build a company and so. There's accelerator program. So the VC that I work with is we have an accelerator program where we build out the AI ML platform for these companies and in return, we get equity. So we're looking for a pre-seed or seed to series a level companies. And essentially there's so much data generated from these data sets. It's biology has now become a numbers game. It's all about increasing how much data you get per experiment. And so with that. You need some way to interpret this data. It's just too much for a human to ever really actually understand. And I can get into that too, but that, that's also another wormhole as well. But so essentially we help build out these machine learning techniques to analyze their data sets over time and essentially give you answers and guide you where to go with the next experiment. Cause time is of the essence. If you're not accomplishing milestones in biotech, you're failing. And so if you, so that it's high pressure academia, it's, oh, maybe I want to go explore this. Maybe I want to go down that route. Maybe I want to go, you want to explore everything you want to know everything. And in biotech VC and or not biotech VC, but in biotech industry, it's, we need to forget all that. We don't know why it's working, but it's working. So now let's move forward with the next thing. So it's very milestone based and just, you have to keep pushing forward because you are expensive. Your operating costs are so high. And lab space is not cheap. Lab equipment isn't cheap. Scientists aren't cheap. I think my CEO is gets paid in the middle in my whole company, because do you want to have a company or do you want to have the best scientists? Do you want to have the best CTO? Do you want to have the best people? And really what, what people invest in is the best teams. So that's why you do see a lot of these Stanford's, Berkeley's, Harvard's, because they have these advisors. They have these grad students that they can pull from and really create great teams that. And also startup world is it's a young man's game. The CTO might be older. He might be the expert. That's like 50, but everyone's just either getting out of their PhD or everyone is getting out of undergrad or getting out of their masters. It's a very risky, inherent kind of thing to do in general, but yeah, so VCs aware people are, there are people who are doing it. There just needs to be more scientists in my opinion who are becoming founders. So, you know, it's not for everybody. There is, and it's the reason why you do see all of those competitive programs like MIT, bringing out all these solutions. And there's a reason why investors want to see MIT on your resume, because they know what's around you. They know what you've been through. They know that you've got teams around you and that's what they want to invest in. It's not the only
1: thing, but it is, it helps. It does help. And to get more scientists is the simplest solution just to Incentivize people through higher pay throughout these these grad school programs, or pushing it more at a younger age. Any any solutions that you see? Obviously, it's a complex problem, but no, we
0: need to pay we need to pay grad students a living wage. There will be more scientists if we if people aren't getting paid. 20. I'd be a I, I'd be in my PhD program if I didn't. You know, I got into UCLA and I got into UC Irvine, but they wouldn't pay me a living wage. I literally was like, financially, I can't do this. It's just not feasible i got into the programs i want to get into i just financially could not and then time goes by and you're just like Fuck this this is the juice is not worth the squeeze <laughs> so it's just...
1: that might have to be the title of the show <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: you know, so you but so living wage then you'll see more scientists
1: and so what's the reason that the universities aren't paying a living wage i don't know if you know that answer no, I don't. there's probably a lot that goes know, into it that's but...
0: a good question i've, I've seen it's one of those things that I haven't dived into because you're so focused on just getting in and you're just so focused on that. And then when you get the offer, you're just like, and the thing is, is it's one of those mentalities of like in the army where it's, I went through this. So now you got to go through this. And so it's no one has any sympathy. Everyone's like, yeah, you got to, you should be, you're going to be poor. Like you're going to not have a life because you're going to be inside the lab every day, but it's at the point where most of these grad students are getting, they're, they're going, what's it called the food assistance programs and housing subsistence or something like that. Um, subsidized subsidized housing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just making up words over here, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely not a word, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, it's a problem. And once, like I said, California did have a huge strike to raise it just like 5k (laughs) because they're like, how are you going to live in LA for 25 K The it's, and it's becoming something where now most of all of academia is put, is going to industry because even the. Even, even once you get your PhD, now you're a postdoc for X amount of years, which is usually like five to another eight years. And then you finally get your professorship and then you're a professor and you're making like 150 to 250 K depending on what university. You can go into industry with a PhD and make 200 K like pretty immediately. That's just the system. And it sucks because. We just need more founders. There's just too much, there's too many problems, too many solutions, but no one wants to go do it because it's just, and so what the solution is, it's probably going to have to talk to the technology transfer office, head, some sort of Dean of these places that knows a little bit more about the politics. Cause I'm pretty sure it's a politics thing. There's private universities or state universities. Where does the funding go? Does it go to the football program? I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's a little above my pay grade as a scientist, so don't know what the solution is but i know what the problem is
1: gotcha all right let's let's move past so that and i we will get back to some of the drawbacks and challenges but a topic that's pretty in top of mind for me is the food system so to answer your question about let's do this little thought exercise the food system is what i would like to learn more about i think you said something about lab grown meat but yeah me being a vegan. Yeah. Lab grow meat is something I'm pretty curious about.
0: Yeah. The main thing is there's a few main points. Is it's a, it's a, it's an alternative. No one's saying all your cows are going to be taken away. It's the same thing as saying we should have guns, <laughs> but We're not taking all the guns. Calm down. We just want some more regulations on it. So it's a, it's an mm-hmm. alternative. So that when you go to the market, if you're feeling if if you're in that mindset, now you want meat and it tastes good. But it's not from a cow that's producing methane or killing an animal, whatever the reason is for you. And it's just an alternative. So the, the meats, the cows are not, not going anywhere. There's still going to be more meat there's still going to be steaks. But eventually over time, what you'll see is a lot of competition, which is now you'll have five alternatives. Now you will have 10 alternatives. And then the next thing you know, it's just it most of the thing is alternative. And then society starts to realize as we grow with this technology. Okay. Maybe AI is not that bad, or maybe. Combustion engines aren't that scary. Whatever it is, maybe technology is always scary at first. And then again, so we'll have those, we'll have those alternatives. And so that's going to be something for you. And now let's get into what is lab grown meat? Is it healthy for you? What is, okay. So right now, one of the big things is you want free range of grass fed beef. If you're a steak eater, no steroids, all these things say no antibiotics, no steroids. It's, it's, it's running around in a field and frolicking, you know, The, the thing is, is there's so much shit that we do to these cows and so much inbreeding that we do with these cows that you're really just getting a low biodiversity, a low nutrition quality. Now let's isolate the proteins that you're getting. So let's say you want to get like a, a certain protein from this steak. What is the main protein that you're getting, right? These amino acids and everything. Now we're just going to grow that in a bioreactor. We're going to put this super bug, and I hate to say that when you're talking about food, but it's going to basically, we, and this is what I do, like for anybody listening, I work at a breast milk company. What we do is instead of brewing beer, I brew human breast milk proteins. Same thing that Impossible Meats does, same thing that all these food companies do, same thing that any bio production team does, which is produce proteins, national lab, I was producing chemicals, this startup, I'm producing proteins. And it's a little, a little bit different of a process, a lot different process, but the same principles. And so what you're doing is now we don't have to worry about antibiotics. Now we don't have to worry about steroids. Now you're getting the pure protein without all the bullshit. You're not getting this diluted fucking crap protein. Right now it's so expensive to make it. That's why that's not the processes. That's why there's synthetic biology built in 1970s, but now synthetic biology is blowing up because the technology around it has caught up the infrastructure around it has caught up to where now the world can get involved inside it. It's not just one or two companies. And so we're seeing it trend towards much lower prices. Things are getting made at much lower prices. And you're also securing the food system too, when you have this organism that can produce this protein I can freeze this and send it to across the world. And now they can produce that protein in a bioreactor sure. It's expensive as fuck to, you have to have a team have the capabilities to do that, but you're securing the food system in general. Let's say global warming happens. We start losing our grains because of either fires or just it's no longer growing in certain areas because it's too hot, which will happen. Now we're going to engineer this grain to withstand certain heat temperatures. We're going to give it certain proteins to allow it to live inside that atmosphere. And it's going to be something that we're going to have to address. Like we're going to have to become comfortable with because what you're getting, it's crazy that right now, after seeing all the documentaries we've seen about our food system and how fucked it is and how many antibiotics and all these things are being put in all the, the, the living conditions of these animals and everything. The fact that we're not like, please give us just the protein, it's what we want. And so now it's really about taste and texture. So we went to the Good Food Institute's conference. We actually won the pitch competition there (laughs) for the number one idea. And this breast milk company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the the company I work for. We actually have Wall Street Journal coming Monday to do a whole entire thing on us too. It's definitely a unicorn. Everyone's going to be drinking this breast milk at some point. I mean, not, 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 (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, like, (laughs) kids will be because right now, really, what we have is a formula issue. We saw the formula like go down again. We're securing that people will be able to live, and so you see formula go down, and then also, eighty-three percent of women can only breastfeed for, oh no, seventeen percent of women can only breastfeed for a full year. That means. All the things that come with that people have to work. People have like, not everybody has the, the, the luxury to be able to stay at home for a year or whatever it is. Almost no one has that luxury, honestly. <laughs> and so it's just hard to live that life. And so what ends up happening is everyone gets, gets formula. That formula right now is fucking corn syrup. It's McDonald's. We're all eating fucking McDonald's and growing on McDonald's. And that's, and the, during the most critical years of your life where you need to literally be getting as much nutrition as possible, but only 17% of the world can literally do that. What we're doing is we're isolating these breast milk proteins, and just to go into the tech of that, I get these sequences that this, this, this sequence of lactoferrin. I put it into this yeast organism using CRISPR and genetic tools. Now this organism has it inside its chromosomes. It has it. It's inside its DNA. It's written DNA. It's code. And so when we feed it carbon. Or a certain a certain source of energy that we know that it likes to have inside its metabolism, it's going to start producing that protein that we tell it to, to, to produce. And so now the whole entire thing is scaling that up. What can we do metabolically to increase that protein out output called titer? And all the whole game is, is really increase your titer. Increase your titer is the number one game in, in biomanufacturing and in synthetic biology in general, is increase that titer. And now it becomes an economically viable competitor with cows. Now it becomes an economically viable competitor with formula, shit formula. It becomes an economic competitor with upcycling instead of recycling. And so that's where we're at right now is we're at like a, the biological revolution, everything's getting made, but now it's just about making it economically viable, which just takes time. And inherently teams are going to fail. We don't have enough companies doing it but there are teams doing it and it's the the awareness is getting out there through iGEM and things, organizations like that. VCs are getting involved. Accelerator programs are getting involved. Things are looking good. Things are looking up. We're just, it's just going to get worse before it gets better for sure. But I think in five, in a few years, you'll see Helena's breast milk on Whole Foods Market. You'll be able to go get that and we'll solve a problem. And you'll start to be able to see impossible meats, not just impossible meats, but you'll start to see really delicious foods, sushis, things that are really like top-notch foods once they solve the taste and texture problem. So there's just a little issue that we've found at the good food Institute is a lot of these companies are just dealing with taste and texture.
1: But isn't even impossible and beyond are different than lab-grown meat. Lab-grown meat is actually a steak, right? Like sequenced, genomed from actual cow. It has
0: everything it's at at that point it's food science. So. The name of the game is producing that protein, increasing that titer. We purify that type. We purify that protein, that main thing that we need out of it, that, that replicates what you're getting in a burger or replicates what you're getting in breast milk, like human breast milk. And then we give it to a food science team and that team turns it into something delicious, something that you want, something that they do taste testing. They do that's where you start getting more like what a restaurant does. Like a top restaurant, They, they start cooking it up.
1: And so. That's where- So it's not turning into a steak in the lab. No, no, right?
0: no, yet. Yeah. I always, the... I produce breast milk and people think I'm like, I'm getting it from the tap. Like no, it's protein. <laughs> and then the food science team takes it over. And that's when we turn it into an actual product. It's coming. There's gonna be a lot of sustain. There's gonna be a lot of alternatives. And the main thing is one, it's sustainable. Two, it's fucking pure. You're not getting the food system involved. You're getting just this legit protein. And so someone who's vegan, I want to hear your opinion on exactly what that is because there's so much black box, no one understands. Everyone's afraid of AI because they don't know what it is and how it operates. Everyone's afraid of synthetic biology and genetic engineering, but they don't really understand what the product is. And so I think communicating it is a big thing the field's going to have to do over time. I know there's going to be tons of people that don't drink our breast milk because they think there's something. It's not natural. natural. I'm like, you're drinking formula. That's fucking corn syrup.
1: That's literally as little
0: to no nutrition as possible. It's negative
1: nutrition. (laughs) I definitely see the the hesitancy of that's made in the lab and even the backlash that GMO gets and just anything that's I think it's just because we don't understand the science behind it, but like you said, it's as pure as it comes. It's not coming with the hormones that these cows and chickens are being injected with. It's not coming with the Pesticides and insecticides that they're eating through the feedlots that they're feeding from, but it's it just seems weirder. And also, we don't have. I think the ignorance is bliss thing is, you don't we don't see where our food is coming from, so we can think it's a natural product just because it's we know it's at least a live chicken or a live cow. But once you get into the lab thing, it freaks people out a little bit. And that would be my question to you: is what's your counter? You've kind of answered it to answered it a bit. But personally, I think it's pretty cool. And I think it's promising. I don't necessarily not eat meat because I don't like the taste. It's a moral thing. It's an environmental thing. And so when you solve that through these lab grown meats, then it's it's way more intriguing for me to eat a steak or eat some chicken or eat shrimp. And I think that'd be pretty cool. It might not be something I do every day. But to have that option would be pretty nice. And I wouldn't have to sacrifice my morals for that.
0: Yeah. And honestly, you'd be supporting something that you believe in, which is you want to not kill animals and you want to feed yourself nutritious shit. And you also want to not support the factory farming industry. It it, it hits all those. And so by eating it, I literally started eating one vegan meal a week. After no, not for long, I didn't. It didn't last long. <laughs> 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 Two months, <laughs> and I started eating one vegan meal a week because you came over and I was like, "This doesn't taste like shit." I don't know why I thought it all tasted like shit. It's one of those things where it's important to have these conversations. Sometimes I get exhausted of it because it's just like, who's really listening? How much time do you? Have? Literally, whenever someone talks about what do I do or whatever, I'm like, "How much time do you have?" <laughs> gonna be like that kid's fucking weird. <laughs> it's like a lot more <laughs> deeper than that. It's one of those things where it, it's not easy to talk about. And so tech gets put away from society because there's just not enough time, not enough attention span when people are working, going to the gym, feeding themselves to learn and really have that time to dive down a hole on what is synthetic biology and why it is actually a better source of nutrition and also source of just like. A, a, source of solutions for what we're looking for solutions to. And it's yeah. just, there's just not enough time for people to, 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 get that. And it even when I, even as someone who was working with chemicals, I still didn't really understand the food industry and how proteins were made. Um, so it's not even like you can work in the national lab as a physicist, but still not want to eat lab grown meat because. The guy next to you was working on that project. I don't know. It's it's not natural. So I do get it. We are creating a product. What is natural, but it's exactly—it's not not natural to our understanding. Ever since someone started putting, bananas aren't naturally found. It's like these things aren't, all, all these things are crops that we started growing over generations only sowed in the better seeds. And then over time made these huge bananas. Things are just artificial selection where we've over time call it natural, but Really, the only thing that's natural is in the fucking jungle. It's, it's the only mm-hmm. way, which is where we get most of our medicines too.
1: There seems to just be this this fear of technology. And I'm going to take some of this from a guy. Uh, you listen to the All In podcast? All In. Who, who's the guy for it? You'd actually really like it. It's a group of four venture capitalists. They all have their different backgrounds. David Sachs from from PayPal. Chamath was from Facebook. Oh, wow. This guy, David Freeberg was with Google. He's also, he's very into the biotech space. He'd be your favorite person. He does a little science corner at What's the end. And then there's a guy, Jake Cal that's, it's called all in, oh, but David Friedberg. David Friedberg. Okay. But anyway, in the previous episode, he was speaking to this rant because they were talking about the self-driving cars and people basically rooting against the development of these self-driving cars. And it's like, why are we so fearful of creating a better world for ourselves a safer world a more sustainable world and the self-driving cars translate directly to lab-grown meat and stuff like that and all these other synthetic biology applications that we're fearful of in ai and granted like we should consider the risks like we should think about what's going to happen when these things take precedent but. To be fearful of technological growth, I think is a little bit foolish because that's just how the world continues to move forward. That's how we progress humanity.
0: I mean, as long as it's, you're solving a problem, like if you're just, if, so there was a guy actually, he went to iGEM in 2015, he was a team lead for a China team and you might've seen this in the news or heard of it in the news, but this guy did CRISPR on these twins like zygotes and while they're like in vitro fertilization and Essentially what he did is he took out the receptor for AIDS to bind. I don't know if you know this, but China has a huge AIDS problem. It's very big. It's very prevalent in China. And so he took it out. He was like, I'm solving this problem. Really what you're doing is you're changing evolution. Now those kids have a genetic advantage that they're going to spread into the population. And so he's in jail. (laughs) It's taken very seriously because what you're going to want to do is, unless you're like a crazy scientist, just doing this one, you have to have the expertise to do it, which is fucking crazy. And then two, you have to have the capability to do it. And then three, you have to not tell anybody. That's the hardest part. Honestly, Is <laughs> be like, I just did something crazy. Let me not tell anybody about it. They told everybody about it and was like, oh, I thought I was gonna be praised. I saw, I proved that this could be used. And he's in fact, he's transfected them with AIDS. They can't get it. But now these kids have a genetic advantage over the entire population of their surroundings. And now they're going to be spreading their genetics. And you're basically playing genetic God where you're like you're designer babies. So the, 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 community takes these kinds of things very, especially, especially when it comes to humans right now, where the whole field is focused on because of the money is there is products. Like they want to solve rare diseases. They want to solve celiac disease. And what I mean by solve it, I don't mean by change your genetic code. Like they'll give you a. probiotic that now has a enzyme that can degrade this protein or this thing There's actually one of my favorite biotech companies highly recommend it they have i haven't had them in a while but they have an alcoholic drink where if you drink it the day of that you let's say you drink 10 beers and you're like oh i'm gonna die tomorrow if you drink this it actually has so much uh, probiotics filled with alcohol dehydrogenase, which is the enzyme that degrades alcohol in your liver. And it's loaded with that enzyme. You wake up with nothing. It's actually magic. It's crazy. So,
1: and you still get drunk,
0: you get hammered. Yeah. And so you get hammered <laughs> <laughs> and, then you, and then you drink these, you just drink one I'm saying, and then you can drink 10 beers or whatever. And then you, your liver is like, thank you. I, now I got, now I got the enzymes I need. You're not changing your genetic code. So people are focused on products that do certain things like that, or they're focused on creating products and buying manufacturing, creating sustainable alternatives. My favorite company is I can't think of it off the top of my head, but what they do is they basically go find pollution and they will literally lift these massive, undegradable chemicals, thousand million year chemicals that are just destroying this environment. They'll go outlift it from the, the source. They'll do the chemical separations with it, and then they'll basically do directed evolution, whatever protein engineering, put it inside an organism, turn that pollution into now a value added chemical. And so they call it the circular economy. And so everything, essentially all this trash, all these pollutants, all these things that don't have any solution to there's companies and this company is massive. I don't know if it's gone public yet. It's just so big that I, I, I'm just, I forget, but. It's, it's one of those things I just look at and thank fucking God they exist. They're clearing waterways. They're changing how we literally operate as a species. And it's just, it's, it's incredibly exciting. And it's it's the only solution I see in sight.
1: What's the timeline though of massive scale? They are a massive scale. So the timeline is basically, it's different for every person. So Certain proteins are harder to bruise than other proteins. Just, yeah, just even that, like that company though, pollution is still a thing. So how do we scale that out across the world to really hone in on the pollution problem? And how long does it take to break down the trash that they're picking up? We got to build
0: the infrastructure first. One of the big, so where, where the bioeconomy is at in the U S is a lot of the companies are focused on building out the infrastructure. So we don't really have an infrastructure. Actually, the U S just created an entire task force to invest inside the bioeconomy to basically turn it, turn us into a manufacturing force. There's a lot of grants getting pushed into companies and stuff like that to build out this infrastructure, basically create huge facilities for bioreactors and really understand where the problems are at. And this is something like not to get political or anything like that, but I love the fucking Biden administration for just literally that alone being like, Hey, this is something that the world needs to get behind and they just fucking Got behind it and props to them for doing that actually solving a fucking problem. Never thought a government would do that. <laughs> and so we're building out the infrastructure. And so now all these ideas will be able to much cheaper, much less riskier come to companies and start raising series A's series B's. So it's really bottlenecks in the system itself, the infrastructure. Like right now, I think India and. Europe has the most bio facilities for scaling up your process. We have the most companies, but we did our scale up at Helena in India. And basically you're talking about like 10,000 liter reactors, hundred thousand liter reactors, where you're just throwing that strain inside there, feeding at the media and slowly purifying this protein from that. And now we have sellable product in quantities where we can actually put it on a market. So the timeline varies, like we're fast. We got there fast. That's why people want to invest inside us, but it's just harder. It depends what protein you're making. What's your, what's what meat, because they deal with texture and we're just dealing with a protein that we put inside a solution basically, which is formula, the liquid It's easy to make Mm -hmm. that taste better than a steak and mimic what a steak is like, that's a lot harder than just making milk. So it's really dependent. It's case by case. It's dependent on the team, it's dependent on the founders, dependent on the advisors, depending on what their goal is. Are they looking for an exit? Are they looking to IPO? It's just,
1: it really depends
0: case by case.
1: Okay. So basically like two more questions and they're pretty broad. So the first would be. What are you most excited about? What are you looking forward to the most in this space?
0: Be I don't give a shit about human technologies. So like therapeutics, drugs, I don't give a shit about that. Any reason why? I just don't think it's as big of a problem as I can't go to the same river five years later cause it's fucking disgusting. Why is my, why, oh, the Florida orange, it's literally gone. It's crazy. We're gonna see things that we grew up being identified with Gone in our natural habitat. It's going to be gone and it's not going to change. So I'm more worried about the environment. I know I work at a Presmo company, Lily feeding humans, so <laughs> I understand where this comes from, but that's also why I want to get a little bit further away from that. And I've experienced what it is like to work at an NREL and where I'm excited is really establishing upcycling. For pollution, I think that's just the most exciting part of this field right now is all these pollutants, literally anything. It's a chemical at the end of the day, there's whatever that pollutant is, there's some sort of chemical and the hard part is getting it out of the system, but we know how to solve it through once we get it. So basically that great trash barrier, the great trash barrier, plastic barrier, all these rivers that are filled with plastics, once we get our chemical process or biological process, economically viable, it's where five plastic bottles equals X amount of dollars. And then becomes a viable thing where we can start sending people to go do that, which is in the near future. Then we'll start to see a lot of these pollutants, a lot of the biodiversity start to return. That's one thing. Another one that I really like is, is honestly the food industry because the oceans are getting. There's, there's no fucking fish in the ocean anymore, you know? And that's, that's disgusting biology is not great at, ca- or car- at carbon capture. I would say that, but that's for, that's a different, that's not biotech. Really There are biotech companies are doing it, but it's not really as big as there's companies that are making salmon. There's companies that are making very nice cuts of meat, very nice. And they're coming together. They're sharing their research. They're collaborating with each other. They're collaborating with academics. They're collaborating with industry VC it's, it's a very, it's a very community oriented kind of thing. Cause they understand how hard it is the task that they're trying to tackle. And they're also trying to, they also understand that if there's only 20 companies actually going after to make salmon, if none of them succeed, then we're fucked like the, the ecosystem understands that. So people really, you get to see a very big camaraderie in capitalism that you don't really see in almost any tech sector. So it's, it's so competitive based, but we're rooting for our competitors. So we're like, yo, the system's fucked. We just want this solution out there. My CEO works with the CEOs of other breast milk, pro- bio production type companies. There's a few, there's one that Bill Gates back, actually called Biomilk milk with a Q and we work with them all the time. And I know it's weird business practices, but the system's going to be fucked if we don't share some sort of yeah. with each other and. I guess that's one of the things too, that I'm excited is just how you get to see solutions in real time getting solved.
1: I think that's amazing. And I, that's always been my struggle or my, I don't know, struggle a little bit with capitalism and just the idea of competition. Yes. The strongest will survive. Yes. The best companies will win the best product will stick. But also, if you're solving a problem, like you said, like all these biotech companies are trying to do, if you're solving a problem and you really care about the solution coming to light, then you should be rooting for your competitors and you should you know, be focused on what you're doing. But at the end of the day, if the problem gets solved, then who fucking cares who solves it? Yeah, you'll get a higher payday if you're number one, if you're the, the market lead. But if the problem's being solved and that's what your mission is and that's what you really care about, then... Awesome. We're better for it. We're a better country for it. We're a better world for it. We're a better society for it. We're a better species for it. I think that's pretty cool that you get to, to see that, like you said, unfold in real time and see this collaboration amongst different companies and leaders. Yeah. That's another question as well. It was, Yeah. The opposite side of it, some of the biggest challenges in advancing these efforts, you spoke a little bit about the lack of scientists and stuff like that, but any other huge challenges that the market faces? And then also some ethical concerns that arise with some of this stuff.
0: So one thing with science is you, if you report data, it might not be re- reproducible inside another lab. So all of industries dependent on academics to produce their research i can't I, I don't know if there's a single thing that we do inside our lab that isn't based on academia some sort of paper or else we're wasting time and money we need some sort of that's why computation is getting involved because people are creating models and stuff like that to guide experiments but we don't have the time or the money to just go experiment we're bioengineers we're not biologists we're engineering solution. We're engineering biology to create something. One of the things I'm, and I worked on the IGEM and engineering committee. And what we did is we created synthetic biology, standardization practices, like measurement practices. If you can't measure it, then it doesn't exist. It's not a thing. So that's one thing in synthetic biology that we face that's okay. Is this paper going to actually give us results? Cause if not, we just wasted six months and our company might fail now we need to be able to create reliable measurement practices that the entire world can replicate inside their labs. And that's one thing where I can't tell you how many fucking experiments I've done. That is to the T exactly the way that they did it. And I don't get any of the results that they get. And that's just a product of where this field is at is where literally no one knows what's going on inside the cell. You're solving a puzzle every single experiment. Why did that not work? Why did that not work? Why did that not work? And then it works and you're like, shit, we just increased the titer three times. When it works, we go get dipping dots, baby. (laughs) And and when it doesn't, you're just failing all the time. It's just what it is. And having reproducibility is huge because every single industry is dependent on these academics. There's more knowledge siloed within each startup than there is out there in the world. Meaning we hold more knowledge on how to make breast milk or how to make this protein than anybody will ever know. It's just our in-house knowledge. That's our value. That's our platform. So that's something that is a challenge is more knowledge is, is, is siloed inside a startup. So when is so, so when these companies go fall down, is went down and it, it was a, I think Mikey actually I'm going to say who invested in what, but I remember he was asking about it or something like that. I don't know if it was him, I, I might've just said some bullshit, <laughs> but anyways, Zimedrin went down and it was a, it was a massive company that was really creating a bunch of products and they, they failed because operation costs were too high and they just didn't, they, they didn't business plan perfectly. And it's sad because now there's no one making those products. Now all that in-house knowledge gets spread across into different companies where they're not using that knowledge. It's literally just gone. So that's one thing is all this knowledge. Like we need these companies to succeed or else, where do you think that knowledge goes? All those years of creating this product, creating this organism, it's gone. It's not in literature. It's not anywhere. Only those people who work there really know what's going on with those. And that's why scientists are valuable as shit that do this kind of stuff. That's one of my concerns is just the survival rate of this, you know, getting a, a five to ten year business before you start getting revenue. It's sa- it's literally sad. Like people fucking cried when dream went down because it was just like, damn a fucking beast went down and now that's gone. Cool. Twenty solutions to fucking problems we need are gone. Who's gonna go fucking pick those puzzle pieces up now? So that's one thing. It's just it's just inherently risky. I guess ethically, the main thing is DIY science is becoming bigger, and I'm concerned about it. I remember when CRISPR became, I remember when CRISPR got discovered immediately companies were already selling CRISPR. I bought CRISPR with my, with one of my first science paychecks, I bought CRISPR and we did an experiment, put it in my, I put it in my fridge <laughs> and they probably wasn't smart to put E. Coli in your fridge that's engineered by CRISPR, but we wanted to, to see if, if we could give it antibiotic resistance and if it would work. That's one of the biggest discoveries of our whole entire generation by far and with all these DIY science, with all the content that's getting put out there and how I've literally made so many videos on how to do molecular biology. You can find it on YouTube and I'd be a little bit worrisome as that becomes more accessible. Like I said, eventually you will have a sequencing technology in your phone. It will happen. Companies are working on this shit. It's going to happen. And that just means. More people are going to get more aware of it. More people are going to get more knowledge of it. More people are going to start coding DNA, and I don't know in a hundred years how that cat's ever going to go back inside the bag. Once that technology is out there and it's cheap, like I said, I can freeze it, the organism that has that, and I can replicate it, and then it it grows by its fucking self if you give it the media that it needs, and then you have this tool that you can once you learn it, once it gets easier to, to engineer. And it will naturally by Moore's law will get easier to engineer and will get cheaper to do these people, bad people are going to get it. (laughs) Bioweapons are going to see bioweapons and and a lot of people have asked me about COVID and if it was a lab leak phylogenetically, it's not possible. What I mean is file in in, in the phylum you're doing taxonomy. Basically you're tracing the genetics of this COVID sequence because it's a virus, it is literally, basically what you see is, is in, in populations, this COVID virus that is in these animals is around here. Let's say if you're just listening about a foot off the ground and that's where all of the COVID, uh, uh natural viruses are basically that's where their phylum's at. And then if you look at the, if you map the sequence of what the COVID. That or, or what the lab, what the COVID that they were working on inside the lab, it's very far out that phylum, very far down the evolutionary tree of that sequence that we, that the COVID that got out was. Where the COVID that got out was, is right smack in the dab of the middle of those coronaviruses where it's found naturally inside animals. So, phylogenetically, sequence wise, it is very fucking unlikely
1: like the COVID, the COVID strains that they were researching in the lab were very different from the COVID strains that are found yeah. naturally in and animals the
0: COVID like the that And the COVID that else. everyone got is found with the animals smack dab in the middle of that phylum, like genomically, while the COVID that they were working on is just, it's nothing like the COVID that we have. It's literally phylum genetics 101, not fucking likely. So I know that's a question that a lot of people have when it comes to, and it's, it's important to communicate because a lot of people get scared and like, oh, we don't want people doing genetic engineering. It might lab leak or, and then the next flu, everyone's blaming it on fucking scientists and then, and then the next thing you know, we shut down technology centers that are studying this. That's what happened with what's it called? Those stem cells. People were like, Hey, there's aborted babies. It's, we Can't be using stem cells, which I'm not going to get into the ethics of that, but we just shut down decades, we lost decades of research because people were shutting down these facilities. And I think it's important for people to understand it wasn't a lab leak most likely.
1: And don't be sure. Interesting. Yeah. And I was going to bring up when you were first talking about earlier on, I was going to bring up, cause you were talking about like bugs and stuff and if there's any drawbacks to some of these bugs and <clears throat> if they Ooh, I, potentially
0: could get leaked. Yeah. I have a good one antibiotics that's going to become a fucking problem a big problem (laughs) so my current mentor is one of the top experts was a top expert on antibiotic resistance essentially all these basically when you take an antibiotic you piss it out it's it it gets into our water system it gets it gets it doesn't go it's a protein it's a sequence like it's going it gets around and the thing is, as I drink my water, yeah. <laughs> exactly can't avoid it. So, what happens is these organisms are getting more exposed to it, and they're, the biology will evolve around it essentially. And when people start getting MRSA or start getting certain bugs, we're seeing an increase in resistance to antibiotics oh, from like common she- organisms that we used to just kill with a small dose of this. Now we're seeing like, okay, we gotta try more different mechanistic type antibiotics. Cause a mechanic, cause antibiotics work on certain mechanisms inside the cell. And where we're gonna go eventually is now most things have antibiotic resistance. How do we treat these bacterial infections? And it's not on our, it's not on our radar, the forefront of our radar yet, but I think in the next 10 years, 10 years from now, you'll start to hear about it a little bit more. And it'll start to become a bigger concern because your, your kid or somebody will get an infection and you're going to have to nuke your entire body because you can't kill this thing. So there are ways that we're trying to combat that with synthetic biology. It's just, that's one thing that I'm worried about is eventually that's going to become a problem. It's not yet to the point where we need to change society,
1: but it will. To the point about the lab leaks, even going back to the food systems and making it safer because we can eliminate, or we know how, I don't know if if it's CRISPR or not, but the E. Coli and the salmonella and stuff like that, we can prevent those outbreaks. Right. Mm -hmm. Because like these outbreaks that are natural to the animal, we can now disrupt them or take them out when we biologically manufacture them. Is that true? So there's one thing about
0: CRISPR that. Hasn't been communicated well, so it's literally a cut. Like it cuts a double strand break inside the DNA. Where you guide it to? I did this today, literally on a scale of 100. <laughs> is guided. Is literally coded this CRISPR to cut at a certain point in the genome. So, one thing is it also cuts in places you don't want it to cut. So we can't ethically start curing diseases or cure certain. Ailments illnesses that we have ailments that we have in the food system or whatever, cause it's going to start cutting in other places. You're going to kill that animal. You're going to give that can- animal cancer. You're going to give that person, like you might solve your blindness, but you're going to get cancer because <laughs> it's going to start cutting your genes. And we don't have the pinpoint precision to do that. Actually the kid who I bought the CRISPR kit with back in 2015, he's doing his PhD at FSU right now on how to make CRISPR more accurate. And there's a huge push towards that. But I don't think we'll see CRISPR being enacted in the human population for a while until that accuracy dilemma is solved right now, what they do is they'll take out the like white blood. Let's say you have leukemia where it's a blood born cancer. They'll take it out. They'll take out your blood. They'll genomically sequence your blood. They'll look at what the problem is. And where is the, the cancer coming from? There's very common genes in, in the human population that we know are causing this cancer and they'll use CRISPR outside your body it's called ex vivo intervention and then they'll cut it out and then now with the healthy cells they'll transplant it back into you and that's how they're curing some sort of cancers is they're taking your cells out transplanting in the healthy cells and then essentially not giving you CRISPR as
1: like a pill but I guess the my thought was okay so if you eat raw chicken you get you can get salmonella or if you eat some type of beef. I don't know what exactly how you get E. coli, but those things can be eliminated with biologically produced meat, right? Or no?
0: No, sorry, no. Okay, I see, I see where your where, no. where head is. Okay, so let's say you're at Whole Foods, and now you're, you either choose a steak made from a cow, or a steak made from the okay. steak made from the, the bio. It's it's still organic matter. Like it's going to decay. It's going to have a lifespan. It's going to have a shelf life. Even radioactive elements have a shelf life. Everything will eventually get taken over by entropy. So it will degrade. Bacteria will somehow get in there. Bacteria is everywhere. It, life will find a way to fucking get inside it. Unless you're inside space, literally.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. There's bacteria inside volcanoes. So we won't be able to- So the infiltration happens after. It's not like a product of the, cow, the specific cow you're There's eating. Bacteria is everywhere. Sitting on a shelf. The yeah. Sky. yeah. Okay the, okay.
0: the crazy thing about bacteria is they do something called conjugation, where they trade genetic. Genomic sequences with each other to evolve with each other. So entire ecosystems are like, that's why your gut microbiome is so huge because it develops a symbiotic relationship with itself. Cause it's trading genomic information with each other. And so let's say you nuke that shit with an antibiotic. You're, you're destroying maybe months of really healthy gut microbiome. So it's, it's a balance of there's positives, but there's also we can't solve everything. Like <laughs> there are problems that just the world's going to have
1: yeah this was uh we're at two hours (laughs) and i feel like we could just keep going (laughs) but i do want to i do want to keep it manageable and also leave the door open for a part two all right maybe next
0: so yeah
1: for sure and you'll be better versed in that area by then too i've been ending them with rapid fire questions i don't know if if you want to go through that um, or I can skip to just the closing Let's questions. Let's go. <laughs> all right, all right, man. There's so much to unload and unpack from what we just went through. Yeah, um, hopefully I didn't like get too and stuff, but... shit. Hopefully, oh, you I did, can't... you did. But <laughs> I really hopefully, hopefully people can can keep up a little bit. No, you can um, always, you can, and at least spark some interest and do some research yeah. into it. So and
0: I'll share some some content on Lumity that uh, Bet. Perfect. Really, i'll share some stuff if you ever have any questions
1: <laughs> perfect perfect all right so into the rapid fire number one book recommendation the giving tree <laughs> the giving tree
0: i love that book <laughs> you feel so good after you read that book
1: all okay. right do you want one that's like, best piece one that's actually- no no i'm cool <laughs> with that i'm cool with that i like it i like it <laughs> that's that's the idea it's just, just fire off whatever comes to, to mind cool best piece of advice you've ever received.
0: Do what you like to do. I love it. That's it. Do what you like to do. Love it. Don't worry about the money.
1: (laughs) One podcast or YouTube channel or just content creator in general that you follow.
0: I love Shane Gillis, but, um, also big into Heberman. also big into Guy Raz, how I built this it's with my favorite oh, podcast. Yeah, this. Love that one about how entrepreneurial people were either quitting their job, leaving their job or something, and they found some sort of thing and they built it into a cultural iconic brand that we all benefit from. So
1: yeah, that's very, yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. Is, and the Shane guy, he's a comedian?
0: He's the best comedian. <laughs> <He's a bad. laughs> okay. like, yeah, highly recommend watching his recent special.
1: Okay, I'll look into it. All right, this will be a good one for, to hear from you. Who's the smartest person you know? Oh
0: yeah, definitely my mentor at NREL. Fucking, he was like the head of lab. Greg Beckham. He's the, he basically created Beckham. biological upcycling. He's one of the most wow. cited scientists in the field. And he's the guy, he has a sleeping bag in his fucking office. He's there on Saturdays. He's there on Sundays. The guy fucking lives, breathes and does it. And he's the most, every, and you know, what's you know, what's awesome about him is everyone around him goes, that's the most productive scientist I've ever worked with. Hands down. He is the real deal. He is the creator. And I've worked with startups across the fucking literally that, that are doing deals with him. Like he's. Without him, the world is at a loss, significantly.
1: Okay. Greg Beckham. Very cool. Yeah, I was excited for that. I'm, I'm going to have to look into some of his papers. All right, these ones are <laughs> shout-out from Joey, real quick. Yo, Best yo, NBA player of all time. Okay. <laughs> Which one? Which <What's> one? <laughs> Best NBA player <laughs> Come on, of all time. on, bro. That's
0: Braun. That's Braun all day. Where's my Braun dude at? <laughs> my
1: fucking...
0: Don't make me get my jerseys out right now, bro. Don't make me get my jerseys out.
1: I'm... He's better than Jordan. Bro. come on, dude. He's the best <laughs>
0: athlete to ever exist on this planet, dude. Are you kidding me? Do you imagine that motherfucker? Yeah. He, he does. He can do anything. I literally named our number one piece of equipment in the lab Lebron. I go see Lebron. <laughs> <laughs> dude, he's, he's the man, he's the goat through and through. He's taking over. He's uh, taken over. By Beckham is too. the Lebron of upcycling yeah. okay, as the goat. They're the Lebron of what they do like Messi's the LeBron. Soccer. <laughs> All
1: right. So, <laughs> so final question, this isn't necessarily rapid fire. You can take a second to, to think about this one, but it's just how I've been closing and I've really enjoyed the answers I've gotten. What do you love most about life?
0: That I can do what I want when I, mean, I really tell myself and convince myself I can do it. That's the hard part is convincing myself, but Once you lean into it and you start doing something that you want to do, damn, it feels good. And then next thing you know, you're doing things that you just want to do. Find yourself in a pretty cool place and it's tough. There's not, there's no easy route there. I'm not there isn't all life's perfect or anything. It's just keep trying shit. Just keep trying shit. I've been unhappy in my career. I've been unhappy in certain things. Just keep trying shit. If it doesn't work, then it doesn't work, but. Yeah, definitely that you can do what you want. It might not be easy. Yeah. No no one wants to take the hard route, but like, I don't want to take the hard route sometimes, but like, you can do what you want. You fucking can. You can. And that's the best part about life is that you actually can do that shit if you put the
1: work in. Awesome, man. Yeah, this is this has been a fun one. To say the least. Sweet, I
0: feel like I've joined the Keel yeah. family after this podcast. Now, <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I just released one with a, a different friend too right. to kind of break away. Yeah. I think this one was probably the easiest one for me to do, and that's a result of you because you're so passionate about this space, and you can go for hours and speaking okay. on it. That's the goal of this. That's the goal of this podcast is as much as I want to insert myself sometimes, it's really about the guest and just hearing the things that they're most passionate about. And it was fun to, to go into the weeds and to break some of this down. And I know I have a lot more questions and I'm sure the listeners will as well. But like I said, that, that can come to either Connection Made on Lumity or a future podcast episode or just self-research, YouTube University, all that good stuff. But yeah, I appreciate the time. I know it's getting late there Fucking
0: creating Lumity, passion through podcast. I think it's awesome. Honestly, it's such a great concept. We need more shit like this. Just like we need more scientists. We need more energy out there like this. Um, yeah, man, I've had a lot of fun on this podcast. Any day you want to talk science, anybody wants to ever talk science. I'm down. I don't get to talk about it enough because the scientists are tired of talking about science to each other. I love Lumity. I can't stress it enough how awesome it is and stick with it. You already know it, the vision. And I hope most listeners really dive into it and start spreading it around, across their friends. Cause I think it's, we need more Lumini.
1: <laughs> no, I appreciate it. And this was unsolicited by the way, just, yeah. to, just to make that clear, <laughs> but okay. no, I think it's, I think we, to, to fire back at you, I think we need more people like you in the science space because, and that's why I'm really excited to see how your journey unfolds in the venture venture capital route, because as I intro to you, you have this blend of social and like nerd, whereas a lot of scientists are really just in the books in the weeds, but you have this really cool ability to speak to it and show your energy and show your passion when describing it. And I think that's what we need to communicate and convey some of these ideas and principles and messages to the general society. So. I'm pumped to continue to watch you, you grow and blossom in this field and to see what continues to light you up and what you continue to do for yourself. So you said you had a YouTube channel. I don't even know if I knew that. What's the, personally,
0: just because I did YouTube videos for iGEM where I've, I've held a lot of positions there and a lot of it's just giving education back on what I've learned to kids who are in iGEM. So how to do molecular biology, what is cloning, what is. An organism engineering, things like that. So it's not me technically. I'm not going to get any anything. Yeah. But if anybody wants to dive deeper, we created a huge YouTube series on what is synthetic biology one hundred and one everything. So you can do YouTube University that.
1: What is the what's the handle?
0: If you look up Igem,
1: I G E M. Yeah, i
0: E M. Um, I'm pretty sure it's the yeah Igem Foundation. It's the first thing that comes up.
1: Okay. Subscribe to them. Okay, cool. Yeah, two point five k. And then, if you're in New York City and you want to go to a cool event, was it Hush NYC? Is that the IG handle? Yeah, at Hush, Hush, N-Y-C. Hush X
0: NYC. We'll be throwing some parties, X. make sure that everyone's at the moment, make sure that everyone enjoys being here on this planet Earth. And yeah, hopefully we can follow through with some really cool, unique events that people remember for their lifetime.
1: I love it. I love it. This has been an amazing time. Thank you again. If you're still in it from this long, about two two hours and 10 minutes, I greatly appreciate you listening and go ahead. If you enjoyed this episode, if you learned something, subscribe, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or YouTube, doesn't matter. Keep tuning in weekly. We got some more amazing guests like Ian coming up and uh, look forward to, to those future conversations. Thank you again, Ian. Thank you to the listeners much love see you guys and that does it for this episode of passion fruit we look forward to you joining our community and contributing to something special that we're building see you next week cheers